What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Live Free Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. I'm also joined by Mr. Producer Lex here. What's up, Lex? What's going on? Let's see. Who do we got on this episode? John Casey yes. is uh, the next episode. He joined us via Skype from his studio in Oakland. Uh, we talked Headlands, Blue Collar America, Boston, Ball Breaking, Criticism, Longevity, The Karate Kid and Kurt Cobain, Boredom, Mediums, Empathy, Tourette Syndrome, Karaoke. How fucking funny was that Tourette Syndrome Karaoke? Dude, Jesus fucking so Christ. Funny. It, it wasn't as funny to watch it the second time, though. The first time is hilarious, and then the second time you're like, fuck, I'm, I shouldn't be watching this it's again. It's kind of sad after yeah. a while. Uh, we talk Rods and Cones, uh, the Breeze Block Gallery, Mr. Sven Davis, of course, and Portland. So, as always, make sure you go check out MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the podcast. You can get all the information over there about each episode and all the shit that we talked about. You can subscribe on iTunes via the iTunes button on that page. You could uh, donate to the show, motherfuckers. I put po- <laughs> I posted this thing trying to get people to help fund the show, and one person donated. One's but, better than yeah. Big ups to uh, Adriel. He's uh, he's been supporting the the show a lot and always posts about it. He's he's dope. Um, so and ah uh, oh, shit, I wanted to have. Let me find this real quick. Well, yeah, it takes a lot of time for us to do the podcast and stuff, and it's not just. The hour of talking, there's like another 45 to an hour and 45 minutes of editing. And yeah, at it least. takes a lot of time. It's a lot and of even time like, of our day. Like pick, doing all the background stuff too, like looking into like what the fuck we're going to be talking about. Let's see. Uh, John Casey, you can find him. I think there's a famous John Casey. Not that my, my man John Casey isn't famous here, but I think there's an actor named John Casey who gets the Google searches. But uh, look him up. His website is uh, bunnywax.com. Yep. Nah, let's see. Uh, I brought up his blog. He has a cool blog that he posts all his stuff on, uh, bunnywax.wordpress.com. Let's see. Let me make sure that his website is .com. Yeah, bunnywax.com to check out all his stuff. And his show is coming up on October 3rd, his next big solo show in Portland. And, uh, of course, we talk about that in the episode. So... Ladies and gentlemen, with all that said, without further ado, Mr. John Casey. How uh, you did like the Wayne's World intro, like one, two. No, 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 oh, like the, the video thing. Oh, the one, two. No, no, no. The, they're filmers. You know, remember when they would do the show? So they do the countdown before the the episode starts. Oh, so it's like five, four, and then. Yeah, then the, the <laughs> silent and the point. <laughs> Producer Lex, everybody. What's going on, man? Nothing. We're um, we're gonna get ready to talk to Mr. John Casey, San uh, Oakland artist. Oakland. It's funny. I think every Bay artist is from San Francisco, even though Oakland is a powerful art. Yeah, yeah. Area. I, f- I feel like um, when someone says Bay Area, I'm, I immediately think to San Francisco. Yeah, you don't think of Oakland. No, lot. but o- Oakland's powerful. Yeah, yeah. And it's super ghetto too. It's fucking shady as fuck. Yeah. Um, when we say ghetto, is, is that sort of just derogatory, meaning that there's uh, black people and Mexicans? I don't know. So I think when white people say ghetto, that, that that's sort of what they mean. But I feel if you if you flip the coin, you see like white ghettos, they're just as dangerous, and it all just factors into uh, money in the neighborhood. Right. That's what we mean. So we're we're saying uh, financially impoverished area yeah. is ghetto. But but then somehow. There's a lot of people who have money that live in Oakland. Yeah, right. There's like a very small section, and just most of it is really um, probably centered around Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I would assume. Um, so, uh, 
Did you watch the fights this weekend? Yeah, I did. Yeah, fucking amazing, dude. Right? Yeah, uh, John Jones squeaked out. Oh, dude, the Henry Morrell spinning oh, back kick. Yeah, is that what it's called? Spin. It's not a spinning back kick. It's spinning side kick, back side kick. I would call it a spinning to the back face. Kick. Jesus Christ, dude! I don't think that Dominic Cruz wants to fight him. No, man. I don't think anybody wants to fight him, really. When's Dominic Cruz coming back? Dude, he's been out for two years. <clears throat> I get the feeling we might get a retirement, and he just doesn't want to say it yet. But yeah. I don't know. He's supposed. To, they're supposed to fight. And then John Jones and Gustafsson. Dude, that was such a good fight. Maybe the best fight in UFC history. I, I've been saying that it's actually the second best fight in UFC history because the first best fight was the first time I saw somebody really get knocked out, and that was in UFC 6 <laughs> when Tank Abbott Tank fought... Uh, he fought that Samoan dude Yeah, that had like the, the karate pants. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. And then he made fun of him with his arms stuck up. I had never seen anybody get knocked out like that before. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I was uh, going, I was talking about this on my last podcast, but I was looking at a bunch of Kimbo Slice videos. And uh, one of uh, Kimbo Slice's last MMA fights was against Tank Abbott. Yeah. It was just gross. It was terrible. Man. Terrible. Was like, why are you throwing him in the ring with that? Dude? Yeah, it was awful. But, man, that fucking fight, when I saw that shit, my my buddy's dad got the pay-per-view. Oh, and man. we used to always watch the boxing matches, all the Tyson fights and all the big fights. And when I saw that, I was just like, holy fuck. <laughs> like that, I would think I was like 14 or 15, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Shit changed from there on out. And that was before, that was its infancy. And I'm sure, I, I guess I've seen the videos from the ones before, but I didn't see it before that. And that they were bare knuckle and all yeah, that. Yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. It was crazy. So um, let's give John Casey a call here and, and see what's good in, in Artland. Sound good? Yep. All right. Hello, hello. John Casey. What's up, brother? Hey, Mike. How are you? Good, man. Let me um, just get some levels here. Okay. How's, uh, how's life up in Oakland? Uh, life is wonderful in Oakland, I have to say. I have to be totally honest about that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't complain. Nice. You want to turn on your camera? We could see you. Oh, yeah. Hang on. I do see the drawing. There's a drawing of you as the icon. Is that a self-portrait? That is a self-portrait. Nice. All right. How do I, how do, I do this? Hit the um the camera button. It looks uh, there's a red camera. Oh, there it is. Boom. There we go. What's up, my brother? <laughs> Good to see you. You can tell I'm a Skype expert, huh? Everybody's nice. a Skype expert. Don't worry about it. Okay. So yeah, man, it's good to see you. I think um, the last time we t- we spoke was in a sort of similar situation. You uh, were you were doing a was it a residency up at the Headlands and you did like a little video tour like I, it would seem like it was right when like it wasn't Skype but it was like live feed like right when one of those types of websites came out. Yeah, yeah, it was UStream. I UStream, think. yeah, I guess it was like yeah. right at the beginning of UStream, huh? Yeah, it, it was. Like- yeah, I was I was eager to try it out. Um, although I have to say the internet connection up at the Headlands was pretty weak, uh, so I kept cutting out and stuff. But you you got a good look at what was going on up there, didn't you? Yeah. How um how did that sort of come about? I guess. Well, maybe we should jump. Let's start from the beginning. Um, okay. You grew up on the East Coast, out in in Massachusetts, right? I did. Swampscott, Massachusetts, is my hometown. And uh, your folks were from there as well. Yeah, they both were. Yep. What um what was that like growing up? Was it, uh, is, is it the Salem area? It is, it is. I was actually born in Salem. Swamps, Swampscott doesn't have a, uh, 
doesn't have its own hospital. So Salem Hospital is the big hospital. Um, my dad was a cop. My mom is a nurse. Um, it's a small town, uh, but it's very densely uh, populated. I want to say there's, oh, there's something like 13 or 14,000 people in three square miles. So we're right on the coast. It was like a little fishing town, and we always thought of it as a little town. But anybody who I talk to who sees pictures of it or has visited says, you know, it's pretty densely populated. Yeah. That's, very, that's a very New England kind of thing. Right. And we sort of, like, as a nation, have. Uh, do you feel like we've uh, romanticized those sorts of areas? Like, even like you say, like, your your dad was a cop, your mom was a nurse. Like, that's so, that's like a the sort of romanticized blue-collar version of life on the eastern seaboard, right? Yeah, and, and, you know, it's funny to me, that was completely normal, and I didn't, sure. until as I was getting older and you would see more and more movies about, you know, like The Town or, or The Departed or whatever, you would see these movies sort of glorifying and, and depicting sort of blue-collar blue uh, New England lifestyles, and I was like, well, I guess, you know, those movies are pretty spot on, a lot of them. They're not, they're not that far from that. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of creativity comes out of those sorts of places, too, like... Uh, you know, like Boston is well known for its its comedy scene, and you know people coming out of there. Uh, do you feel like those environments are sort of suited to creating things, like being creative, like doing something different with your time? I think so. There's um, there's a number of reasons for that. Probably we we actually have like real seasons, uh, <laughs> sort of like the Midwest. Um, so you're sort of you're sort of hunkering down and and getting a lot of work done in the winter and. Uh, summer is just sort of this, you know, release time, and it, you know, so you're sort of working in cycles there. And uh, but there's also a lot of uh, I don't know how do I put it, like ambient tension or ambient stress or sort of an edge there. Yeah. Uh, and it's people have a lot of dark humor, and uh, and and so like a good a good thing is when people go out and you're going to go have drinks, or you're going to go to go to the pub or something. Uh, people will sort of the humor there is to sort of insult each other. You know, right. and and is a con constantly insulting each other, and uh, taking it really as far as it can go as you get drunker and drunker, and uh, and and so yeah, as far as like comedy and creativity and things like that, it's like you have to be quick on your feet and and quick in your head. And, and where do you uh, think where do you think that comes from? You think it's it's from the the sort of the weather situations, like being forced inside? Is it because you're forced to be surrounded by people a lot, or does it? Do you think it's like? like hereditary like from <laughs> generations past of ball breakers like from like you know from ireland or the uk or whatever and I'm, I'm sure there's a there's a big italian big big irish uh, -huh. uh populations uh, i i think that's a bunch of that yeah there's definitely there's definitely a culture aspect to it um and and yeah i just it's it's just sort of the nature of 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 the place and i'm sure the weather is part of it because you know you i don't know you just have to you have to get a good sense of humor to just sort of deal with a lot of stuff. It's very, it's very congested. None of the streets are in a grid form. Uh, you know, you're sort, of, you're sort of navigating these streets that were all based on old cow paths back in the day, and uh, and you know, so everybody complains about the traffic in Boston, and uh, it's 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 its own little beautiful mess. Yeah, that's rad. Uh, so you went to college there too, yeah? Yeah, Mass College of Art. How did uh, how did that work for you? Cause I love it. This is a big thing on the on the show is like the mm -hmm. difference between people who have gone through the collegiate system, and it seems like I would say most of the people who have been on the show have, but there are a a, a few who haven't. Um, how important was it for you, like if, for somebody maybe who's coming up now? Do you, what like what were the advantages and disadvantages? Would you say? 
Um, I offhand, I can't think of too many disadvantages other than you know going into debt. Um, although at the time when I went to Mass College of Art, it was and I think it still is the only independent state art school in the country. Um, and I was an in-state resident, so I'm dating myself, but I think my tuition per semester was like 600 bucks or something. Um, it was really low. And it, then Ronald Reagan came in and, uh, and kind of pulled all the Pell Grants and things like that and mm-hmm. really shut down financial aid. So, um, you know, I was pretty much going for free and didn't have any debt. And then, uh, and then sort of acquired debt at the very end, which was a very small amount of debt, certainly compared to what kids are putting up with today. Yeah. Um, the social environment, I feel, for art school or really any college experience is extremely important. Um, mass art's a little different because it was, it's a commuter school for the most part. There's some dormitory situations with other schools. but And I think mass art now has its own dormitory across the street for like first and second year students. Uh, but when I went there, I, I mean, I commuted the whole time, and then I moved into Boston. Um, I lived right up the street in Mission Hill. And, you know, just being in that environment and being immersed in the city, I felt was very important. Uh, when you're being a creative person, uh, to sort of, first of all, art history is very important, so you're getting a lot of that. Um, then you're seeing all your peers sort of struggle and experiment and do different things, and there's a lot of give and take. Uh, it's kind of like being in a giant studio situation. Uh, I was a painter in school, so we had a big painting studio, and people were people were um, just feeding off of each other in, in a really positive way for the most part. Um, but it also it's a little microcosm for sort of the art world in general, so it's kind of a little test drive for kids. Yeah, that's and, a good uh, point. Yeah, yeah, you just I mean, there is a little bit of backstabbing. There's a little bit of kids biting each other's style. There's a little you know, so all those things that you sort of see out in the art world that, that may be negative, you get a little taste of that. Uh, there's definitely heavy criticism, which um, you know, nowadays doesn't seem to be uh, as important as it was back when I was in school. Um, but well, the criticism, I felt, was very important for developing your own work. It's It kind of helped you develop a tough skin, but it also kind of forced you to expand your visual vocabulary and, uh, and, and up your technique and do all these other things. Now people just leave douchey comments on your YouTube videos <laughs> and whatnot. I know. I, I hate to blame the internet for anything because it makes me sound like an old man, but um, you know, there used to be this sort of hierarchy of criticism and, and, and not just the art world, but in the music world and whatever, any, any kind of creative world. And nowadays it re- it's really like the lowest common denominator a lot of times, you know, and it's just, I find that frustrating, very frustrating. I had a little critique of the internet recently. Like I, somebody, I, I think it was on the podcast. Somebody asked me, uh, or maybe just in talking, like somebody asked me like what type of, what art I was looking at that was like, that I was stoked on. And I was saying how, like, nothing really hits me, sort of how it did when I was in my 20s. Like, I don't have the same emotional reaction. Even to seeing, like, a great piece of art, like, it doesn't have the same reaction for me. And I don't know whether it's because I'm jaded or it's because of the Internet's inundation of images every day. Right, right. We see so many things that it's just like, well, that thing was yesterday. And nothing seems to have as much of a longevity as maybe as it used to like post or beginning of the internet where you kind of had to find things and you got a book and you like looked at the book for a while and that was a a source of information for a period of time. Whereas like every day we're getting like a hundred new things and you know, like there's a ton of great artists out there. So it's all getting shown to us every single day. So I kind of blame the internet for my mild jadedness and not (laughs) having like the same response. Yeah, an attention attention deficit. 
Um, I, I, I agree. It's you know you you sort of develop this um, this sort of instant check mentality when you're sort of trolling through images and art. Uh, it doesn't always have that much of an impact, and you develop this very quick judgment factor in your mind. You don't really take the time to sit down and absorb. I mean, one thing I like doing, of course, is going to museums and galleries because at least and, and usually. Uh, at least lately I've been going when there haven't been openings because I just want to sit down and really look at the work or walk around and, and just stand in front of a piece for a while and, and yeah. understand what that's all about. Um, but I, I agree. I think that part of it is part of it might be that you're getting jaded just because you've seen so much in your life. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I kind of feel that way. I remember when I was first in school and, um, uh, you know, here I am a boy from a small town and, and I'm in Boston. I'm really excited. We're going out in a, in a class group to the Institute of Contemporary Art in Boston and there was, uh, I can't remember who it was. I want to say, oh, I can't remember. But it, was, uh, it wasn't Bill Viola, but it was something like that where there was uh, this sort of video projection going on. And it was just really ethereal and beautiful. And I had never really experienced anything like that. And I just remember the, the wonderment, you know, when I was, when I was young as a, as a young student, just that wonder of everything. And every now and then I see something or experience something art-wise where I just get a little taste of that. And I say, yeah, this is great, but I, I fully agree that I think the internet has sort of numbed everything uh, a little bit, and that's kind of unfortunate. It's great that you get to see so much, but um, but you just don't filter it the same way, and you don't yeah. get that same impact. Yeah, and not to say that it's supposed to stay stagnant in the same way forever, but like even thinking about that, like having like a, a few magazines in the '90s that like I could still go back and look at and sort of cherish. Like I remember like certain issues of magazines that were like yeah. that seemed important because it had a source of information that it didn't just fall away it, it's very strange and i wonder if it's the same for for younger people too if if just growing up in this internet age if if it, entire life is like that i heard some uh homeboy told me a meme yesterday yeah. he said well I, there was two that i saw yesterday one was um ralph macchio is now the same age as uh, Mr. Oh, Miyagi yeah, in the Cat. movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and then the other one was kids entering college today don't know the world with Kurt Cobain being alive. Oh, so, in other words, so for like man. me, like Jimi Hendrix or like Jim Morrison, like that's what it's like for kids right. entering college now. Right. Do you feel yeah, old? That's weird. I feel really old. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I, uh, yeah. I totally get that. Uh, that's that's a kind of a scary thing, but um, but yeah, it's it, it is interesting. I don't know what I don't know what I see. I have friends with kids, and I observe them sometimes if we're over for dinner or whatever. And the kids are just absolutely riveted to their video games or their little players or whatever they're doing. Um, you know, and I can see that because when it, I mean, I was in my twenties when like real, really high quality. Uh, like Doom and stuff like that was coming out, and I was I was so excited about that stuff. And and uh, Sim City, I think I literally sat and spent almost twenty hours straight without sleep uh, building stuff. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I I get that. Um, but when you're when you start kids off at such a young age, um, it really does make me wonder about their sort of real-time experience and how their brain is operating. I mean, I guess if that's the future going forward, that's fine. But if sure. all of the in infrastructure collapses in this dystopian future that everybody talks about, um, then where are those kids going to be? They're going to be like the, the, you know, the easy pickings for uh, everybody out there because they won't know how to survive. You know, right. if they don't have their electronics or instant access to information, like, you know, I don't know how to, can I eat this? I don't know. Where's Wikipedia? You know, I have no <laughs> yeah. idea if I can eat that thing. 
I, and you know what's interesting is I th- it seems like um, a lot of ingenuity comes out of boredom. And it seems like these electronics and, you know, games and these things that we have now are a way to avoid boredom. Yes. And, and we might find that we actually, it seems like we might actually need those boredom times. Yeah, I agree like, with that. Time to think or figure some shit out as opposed to just block your mind from whatever it is that's causing the emotion that you're feeling or whatever. Right, right. I agree with that. It's, you know, it's interesting because I find that I do... I set myself up with a lot of distractions. So yeah, I do too. Know, That's I'm I'm just yeah. projecting. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, yeah, I, <laughs> I get you. But I'm just thinking like when I'm in the studio, I have to have like an audiobook on, or I have to have some some music playing, or whatever. Or some awesome podcasts. Yeah, right. Awesome podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, I was listening to uh, your Aaron Riley one yesterday, and I was yeah, like, buddy. that was that was a great one. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and um, you know, it's 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 funny because I, I keep going through this. These, these periods where I'm like, I'm going to shut down my television. I'm never going to watch television again. And, you know, I'm going to have all, and I'm going to do more reading and I'm going to do more just sitting and thinking and think, and ah, that never happens. I just, <laughs> I just keep, keep getting distracted. And then every now and then it's, it'll be simple stuff like you're in the shower and you get an idea because you're in the shower and there's no distraction except that you're showering. Uh, I'm walking to the studio, I'm riding my bike, I'm not thinking about much. I'm just, you know, start, and, and I really purposely try to take headphones out and not listen to music. And then some of the, if I'm trying to resolve something in my head that I'm working on in the studio, then a lot of times that's when that's going to happen. So let's talk about your work a little bit. Um, sure. I've seen your stuff for a long time, and you've made some I, – I wouldn't quite know exactly if, I, if I'm going to pigeonhole you, if I'm going to define what you – I mean, you, you started off as a painter, you said. Um, I, feel, I feel like I got to know you as a – a sculpturist maybe is that sure is that fair I, I feel like when i became familiar with your work you you were heavily into sculpture although you're doing a lot of you have a lot of drawing and right other things as well yeah when i came out of school i i almost immediately dropped painting i always painted the sculptures um but i started going into sculpture work pretty quickly a lot of it was like wood cut out with a lot of paper pulp things things that nobody's ever going to see because they were horrible um and it, and, it, <laughs> and as time went on uh, I I pretty much became like a full time sculptor, and occasionally I would sketch. And I know that everybody says I should have a sketchbook as as a part of your practice, but I never I never really maintained that. So whatever sketches I was doing or whatever drawings I would I was doing, it was almost like a kind of a different energy, a different aside. And I would do a little bit of that, and um, and that became. It's interesting. The sculptures tapered off over time. Yeah. Um, although I still love doing it when I do it, but the drawing has uh, definitely increased. So my draw, I would say that you know eighty percent of my practice now is drawing, and then twenty um, percent is probably sculpture at this point. I um I was talking to somebody recently about like the different values of things, and uh-huh. the conversation was about um, <clears throat> excuse me uh, about painting versus digital art, and uh-huh. they asked if. There's like a hierarchy of value, maybe. I mean, they didn't use that terminology, but you know, like, so as a painter, I think painting is the best shit, and everything else is like, if, if, if you're, t- let's, let me ask you, if you're to put a list of drawing, sculpture, and painting, where do you put number one, number two, number three? Fuck, fuck, kill, Mary, uh, <laughs> drawing, right, painting, sculpture, right, um. Good question. Uh, for me, drawing is number one always. Uh, I just there's something about it, and and when I see it, 
see other people doing it, I just it seems like such an honest practice. Like it's 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 really pure. It's like literally putting like a mark on paper and lines and shading and all of that. And it's uh it's it can be a real struggle. And there's also a, if you if, with, if you're using graphite, when I, I was using pen and ink for quite a while, and I didn't really have much of a subtractive process. I couldn't really erase. Uh, I could cover up, but I couldn't I couldn't really remove. Uh, images, but now that I'm into graphite, there's a whole subtractive process. So I feel like, if anything, even the pencil is even more honest and more direct. Um, painting, uh, I always will have a respect for painting, uh, no matter what. I just, you know, I I struggled with it. I still occasionally try to do it. Um, I somehow feel that, you know, it, in the art world and in, in the business of art, uh, painting is a more respected medium for a lot of folks. Um, but that said, um, I I had a a show in France and, and did a lot of uh, um, gallery hopping there and, and a lot of uh, museum going. And the French love drawing, you know. So I think the European tradition for drawing is is still alive and well in Europe, and it's also I'm sure, alive and well in the U.S. And um, uh, and I think the internet, oddly enough, uh, because people had to make work that looked good on the internet, that illustration is a is a form. Uh, and, and rendering as a form and all of that became much more popular. So I think drawing actually gained some traction, more traction uh, as the internet became more popular. And then, it, and then in the end, sculpture is great. For me, sculpture is great on many levels. Um, but I feel sculpture is best uh, experienced in person, no matter what. You know, you really want to walk in. There's no photograph that's going to give you the full effect of what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, and to be able to do, just do a 360 around a sculpture and really appreciate it. Uh, is is nothing beats that. So so I don't know if I'm not so much into ranking things. It's just talking about the different <laughs> levels of experience somebody has with it. Yeah. Um, and so for me, just my general practice is to respect painting, but but be afraid of it and kind of ignore it <laughs> for my for my own <laughs> for my own, for my own practice. But look at other people's stuff. Uh, embrace drawing. Do all that uh, and and love it and and allow it to to give you that trans transcendent experience and sculpture just for the hands-on joy of making the physical and just working clay and slapping stuff together and building armatures and all of that real physical stuff love it absolutely love it so you would marry drawing fuck painting and kill sculpture i guess (laughs) (laughs) um i have a question this producer lex you can't see him on the screen okay um you said you're really into graphite um in drawing, have you seen those tablets for that graphic designers use that pretty much mimic um, graphite and all that? How do you feel about that? There's like a tablet where you can actually draw physically draw on the tablet with the pen stylus. Sure. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, this is probably just me being old school. I mean, I'm a big fan of like the the paper and the panel and yeah, yeah. and and holding the pencil and all that. And I know you're holding a stylus and you're getting an effect, uh, but you're not actually feeling how how that interaction is happening. It's more like now that said, tablets. Um, you know, my wife has an iPad, and, and I've used the drawing programs on that, and I had a lot of fun with that. That's yeah. to me, that's just a, a really fun thing to do. Um, everything, every everything that you hold in your hand to produce something and and apply to something is is a form of like tool usage. Yeah. yeah. So so I think understanding the tablet and the, the nuances of how the limitations of the tablet and um, and, and even as the software gets better and better, there's all every every tool has limitations, and every tool has has its um, you know its its specialty. So I, I think you probably get the most beautiful things. I've seen some really beautiful renderings that have been done on tablets, either in you know paint 
programs or drawing programs or, or whatnot. And I and I so I have a complete um, feeling for that. I think the problem is, is what what's the endpoint for that? So for me, it's like the endpoint is always going to be digital. You know, you could print it out. Yeah. But but the source is digital. It's uh, it was digitally produced. It should live in the digital world and in a digital environment, and and that's how it's extended. So whereas I I'm more of like let's build something in the real world and push that forward, and that way when somebody walks into uh, a gallery space or somebody's studio, they can actually see the drawing on the pencil and get right up there and look at how look at the impression in the paper, mm-hmm. uh, look at the erasure mark, you know, look at all. I mean, you can really study it and and appreciate it. So. I, this yeah, very different. Experience. Yeah, you notice the human feel. Yeah, but it's funny. Yeah. Like, eventually, for a lot of those people who use tablets, it, a lot of that stuff starts as as sketches on paper. Oh, yeah, and you know, every tool also has its limitations too, and its and its problems, and you know, its difficulties, like trying to figure out how to make that shit work yeah. for you or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just it's 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 if you're inspired by that tool and the usage of that tool, and and uh, and it's. And it's calling to you, and 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 makes you want to work with it more and more. Then I think you're going to produce good stuff. You know, you're going to produce. You're going to get the maximum out of it. Um, so just for me, with my experience with tablets, it's it's only good up to a point, and I just don't feel the need to go further with it. Uh, at this, you know, I mean, I just don't, to be honest with you. Uh, whereas paper and and pencil is it's so simple, but yet it's to me it's endless. Like it'll just always be endless. So yeah. maybe we could maybe we could talk about some of the imagery that you use for maybe some people who haven't seen your stuff. Um, I wrote down uh, that there seems to be a level of distortion that that yes. takes place in your work uh, that it seems to uh, sort of jar the viewer into like a different sense of reality. Is uh, is this something intentional for you to like? Uh, is distortion? Do you, will you feel like that's maybe a good word to use? Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, uh, deformity, distortion. Uh, um, I use the term biomorphology, and the, and the idea is that it's, um, you know, like somebody... It, it, the characters, the reason why the characters are distorted in my world, for the most part, is that each distortion represents sort of a psychological state or an emotional state for that character. So... So somebody has, you know, hands are very important to me because they're very tactile and, and very sensitive uh, and, and very direct in its touching of the world. So, that, so I like to blow hands up to different sizes, but they don't have to be the same size. You know what I mean? And, and the tension, I like to build tension within the narrative by uh, either making something too large or too small uh, in the figure or uh, just foreshortened or distorted in some way. So it's all about building, it's like structuring something in an abstract form, you know, you want it, but, but the funny thing about doing actual figurative work is that it's, it's one thing to do a brush stroke in abstract work, it's another thing to actually use a recognizable physical form like a hand or an eye or, you know, especially when you're doing human portraiture because everybody can relate to being human who's, who's looking <laughs> right, at it. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. oh wow, you know, I think people place themselves empathetically with the characters and, and that distortion really sets them off and I want to create the tension of the work. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I, you know, it, I wonder if if people. It's interesting that you bring that up. I wonder if there's like a sense of um, of sensitivity towards the figures, like an almost like feeling sorry for them to a certain extent. Do you feel like that's maybe one of the emotional? Like I bring this up because I just watched last night. Um, it, it was called uh, what's the it's uh, Tourette syndrome karaoke. Yeah. Oh man! And this Irish guy Ouch. with a really serious Tourette's issue um saying rem's uh losing my religion 
And I'll be goddamned if it wasn't the funniest thing that I've ever watched. Oh my like, God. my ribs were hurting. I was laughing so hard. But, like, I didn't want to be the guy laughing at... I wasn't laughing at his condition. Like, because right. I know people who have suffered from it. And I, I'm, sure. not, I'm not, sh- like, laughing at the shit roll of the dice of having that issue. I feel so bad laughing. But, I like, know, I so, like I know, right? Off. So that's the empathy that I'm thinking right. about. So, like, people, like, engaging with your work. Do you feel like there's that same type of empathy to where it's like, ah, oh, man, your fucking one hand is really big. Like, it almost seems like they're in a position where they're in, a, like, you use the word tension. There, yeah. that's, there seems to be there's an, an urgency sometimes or it seems like some of the figures are at breaking point sometimes yes yeah it's that hovering moment I'm trying to get that hovering moment um, uh, yeah and I want people to feel uncomfortable and and so I want them I want them to I think the the sort of uh, sympathetic element in the work so you're sort of feeling sorry for the character sort of uh, disarms you a little bit you get into observing the character uh, hopefully you're engaging with it visually at some point and then as you're noticing each detail, um, you're feeling more and more uncomfortable. And then you feel like either this, there's some, something's going to happen, but you're not quite sure what it is. And I like to think of that as the hovering mark. So it's, it's believe me, I, I, I don't know how, what my percentage is, is in my mind for achieving that balance. Cause it's a kind of a tricky balance to find in there. Uh-huh. Um, but it's, that's part of the process for sure. So there are many times I feel like I've completely failed on it and, um, yeah, you know, I haven't quite made a figure that's that's got that power yet. You know, and then, and it's the it's almost the power in the discomfort and the power in the uh, that the moment. It's like is it you know? So that tension builds up, and I almost feel like people should look at the work and maybe laugh at it because it's like <laughs> you're feeling nervous about looking at the work. Like there's something wrong here. I'm not quite sure what's going on. You know, and then they they feel uncomfortable enough to start laughing. Well, that's how I felt about the terri- uh, uh the karaoke. Tourette syndrome. Well, it that's was a perfect like, example. Yeah, yeah. I could, I could almost draw that guy. Yeah, I he, bet. He, he wouldn't look anything like the actual guy, but it, just watching the experience uh, would certainly inspire me to make a character that would hopefully, you know, convey that. I highly recommend everybody <laughs> going and YouTubing that. It's. Just I will YouTube it. Tourette, it, Tourette's karaoke, oh, losing man. my religion. It's <laughs> this Irish dude. He doesn't with, have a with shirt an Irish on. Accent. Yeah, with an Irish accent, he does oh, beautiful. a lot of fucks and a lot of yeah. um, pops. Like he makes these popping sounds, oh, and his hands go full blast. It's, it's oh my goodness, it's goddamn. So he has and like both sides of. Ter- he records, yeah. He records himself, so it's like I think yeah. he's the one, and it very well could even be a bit. But his Tourette's is so on point. Like I yeah. know about the. A lot about Tourette syndrome just from like watching documentaries and shit. I guess that's not yeah. knowing a lot, but I know enough that a documentary told me knowing more than most. Um, yeah, I, I, I Tourette's is fascinating to me, um, and I uh, there are also plenty of people who, as they get older, they, they and I've seen this in my own uh, family. They get into a kind of a dementia, and then they're so that there's there's no filter anymore. You know, it's like Tourette's is like a f- com- completely filter free, and it's almost to the point where you have almost like these little demon spots inside of you that are constantly trying to push out and then they Tourette's is like the, the, the guard drops, the filter drops and then it's popping out, popping out uh, with, out of control and I almost feel like it's, that can happen with uh, older folks too with like dementia and Alzheimer's and all kinds of stuff and yeah, sure. you know, there's, there's all those things happening um, it's interesting to watch I mean, isn't I, I kind of feel like we all want to think of ourselves as being in control all the time yeah. uh, you know, and that we can, we, can, we can say things that we want to say but we can hold back what we want to hold back, we can do di- different things and then I think what's so fascinating is watching somebody with Tourette's or, or with dementia just not having that that control and then you feel 
I think you feel both an exhilaration that that person has a kind of lack of control, but also this total freedom, but, but, it, but not necessarily in a positive way most times. And, uh, but at the same time, you also feel tremendous pity for them. Uh, and I think what this guy is doing, what it sounds like to me, is that he's trying to push aside your pity. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's, exactly. He, he's owning it in the biggest way possible. And, uh, and, and really, in, it's probably his way of absolutely taking control of it. Yeah, you know, it's he, it's really great. His terms. Yeah. He he sings the song really well, like fairly well for like somebody like a normal karaoke going folk. You know, like he sings the song good, but in between each verse, he'll get through a whole verse. There's no way that he's not going to let out his ticks <laughs> in between each verse. So, it almost if you don't look at it, if you don't look at the video and just listen, it sounds like it's two people, one person singing and then somebody just cursing at him behind. Which I mean is sort of I guess a part of you could look at it like that for somebody suffering from Tourette's. Like there's yeah. this inner part of them. And I I compare it a lot to the wanting mind. I I I posted on a buddy's Facebook about happiness and I, I said that um happiness arises when wanting subsides. And it's the idea that people with Tourette's have this desire, like this outrageous desire and need to let these sounds and movements out, that there's no stopping, like you said, like a no filter sort of reaction. But right. it's almost like they have such a, a, a want that if they don't let those sounds out or, or whatever action that they, they have that it's almost like they're dying. No no different from even somebody who suffers from um, any type of addiction, like heroin addiction or something. Like It's that want. It's not even the actual like saying, fuck, 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 or shooting up. It's making that wanting whatever it is go away. And right. I feel like for people with Tourette's, that's what they're dealing with every five seconds for yeah, the most part. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so probably so commonplace for them. It's got to be a really tricky thing for somebody with Tourette's. I'm not sure what if there are medication options, but I would think to control something like that, you'd have to be a complete zombie on medication to, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't have any functional life. So I'm probably almost better to just live with the, you know, let the Tourette's be what it is and and just work your life around that. Yeah, I just I feel like I don't. It seems like it was a Vice video or something just was popped up in in one of my feeds where um, people are taking. Ambient is it? Fuck! What is it? It's uh, like a Zoloft or some some type of uh, ah fuck. I want to say it's a like a psychiatric medication, uh -huh. but it's making these people who are um, almost brain dead because of some yeah. neurological issues like come back. I feel like there's a documentary or something. Have you, have you seen this? No, but it's, you're saying that the the medication that would sort of the antidepressant or whatever that's supposed to calm them is actually doing what? Well, no, for people, it's a, they're using a medication that people generally use for depression, right. but these people who are basically brain dead do, oh, oh. due to some neurological issue. And yeah. when, you know, they, they did a brain scan as part of like the, to show what was happening. And most of the brain looked like it was turned off. You know, right. they use blue and red in the, like, design. And after they gave them, I wish I could remember what the medication was, but it's something that is pretty standard issue that sure. a lot of people take. Like a Prozac uh, or something. Yeah, something along those lines. And it uh, they showed after these people who have, who have basically no brain activity, it lit up their brain. And people who weren't talking and were basically in a vegetative state 
are sitting up and having conversations with people. Wow. Very, mm. very interesting. I know. As much as people want to criticize Western medicine and whatnot, um, when you think about it, it all does come from usually organic sources. It's just mixed in a completely different way. And Yeah, the problem uh, is just, greed. That's the, that's the well, main, main I agree, issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a huge, a huge problem there. And, and it's, it's not like really being done for the benefit of, of, of the society as a whole. Obviously, it's being done for profit. And yeah. uh, it's a shame. But yeah, it's it's that's amazing to me that 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 could happen. I, I mean, I imagine all the people who sort of give it up on their loved ones who are, you know, just probably would never just assume they would never speak to them again. And then that person wakes up. I always wonder, like, what does that person have to say? You know, like, I mean, I've heard different stories and people are like, yeah, I had, I could hear everything, but I couldn't say anything. And you know, I I was having deep dreams, but you know, I couldn't even. I did some. Do people remember them? Do they not remember them? I'm sure it varies from patient to patient. Yeah, sure. It's and I always talk about this thing like. We never know what uh, each other's experience is like. Like, I don't even know if your red is the same red as my red. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Do you listen to Radio Lab at all? No. Uh, uh-uh. uh, so it's a podcast. It's it's a, a radio show out of New York City, and uh, they do all these different subjects, and they and they do different stories based on the particular subject over the course of an hour. And one of them was about. Um, uh, the sort of rods and cones in people's eyes, and, and so the whole show is about c- color, and the idea that humans have, you know, we have the three three rods and cones in our eyes, or I guess I, I can't remember which one is actually seeing the color. Uh, dogs have two, um, you know, butterflies have like twelve or something like that. Oh, so, weird. so we see if w- the rainbow that we see, the the color spectrum that we see. Compared to say like uh, like a, like an insect that has you know extra built-in uh, rods and cones uh, is is so much less than what they see, and they're actually humans that may have four, a fourth one that see complexity. So the way they can tell those people or guess who those people are uh, without actually dissecting their eyeballs <laughs> is it, is to uh, is to make them look at a chart with very like slight variations between say like like a brownish red and a brownish green, but there's like 15 variations in between the average person only sees like three variations mm-hmm. yeah. but that person can see like you know all 15 or something like that and it i think it was the mantis shrimp that and you have to you should google mantis shrimp um they're huge these huge uh ocean dwelling shrimp and they are the most colorful animals you'll ever see uh but they also have uh i don't want to say it was like 30 or 40 rods and cones or something like something outrageous. So you can't even imagine the color spectrum those animals can see. Are they the ones that change colors too? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. All, all, through, all through emotion. So their, their whole communication system is all based on visual and color. It must be pretty, pretty stunning. Yeah. That's, I, that brings up another interesting idea that I had about your work. I think, um, the lack of color. Well, <laughs> what, what, what I see is like, an area like for a lot of the work a lot of your drawings they're black and white drawings uh I, I know you use some red sometimes will will show up in your work but like the idea that there seems to be like there's color there you know like i was just looking at one of the pieces that has it almost looks like there's um stars or like some sort of space type of scene crawling up the neck and yes. there's flowers growing out of the eye it it seems like your work is set up to show a bunch of like beautiful, bright, colorful things. And I find the dichotomy of like forcing the people into seeing them in black and white is kind of interesting. Is that, do you, do you try to throw again back to the distortion thing? Do you try to make that a part of the work or is that just something that kind of happens? Well, I, 
I think the reason why I have kept my palate to like, like a total minimum uh, is that I, I, it was just an easier way for me to work. It's almost as if I use color. Color has a tendency to overwhelm me. So there's so much uh, decision making involved with applying color uh, that I just, I just sort of lose my way, you know. Uh, if I if I limit myself to a black and white structure or um, or use just maybe like three or four colors in lately I've been trying to add some color to the black and white and it's almost like a slight addition so you'll see a few pieces in my portfolio that have that uh, and and I may be going further in that direction sure um, so that's that's been kind of entertaining to do but the um, but it's just it's finding the the multiple levels of complexity by using less. So it's, it's a way of, it actually frees me up to do more exploration when I don't have to try to keep all those kittens in a basket. Yeah. You know what I mean, I, yeah. only have a, I only have a few things to worry about, and, that's, and to, keep the, to keep the distraction of materials so simple that the, the narrative and the figure and all of that then becomes the, the point of exploration, the point of uh, uh, decision-making and choices and things like that. So... So that's really, it's just kind of a, a self-imposed rule I have yeah. now as an artist just making work. Uh, and it's served me very well in terms of being able to come up with a sheer variety of things. And, and the fact that you said you can see what would be color in there and texture and things like that, is, it's, uh, that's a whole technique that I'm developing. And who knows? I mean, maybe someday I will, I will enter the world of color. Yeah, because it seems yeah. like you, it, you create sort of um, almost like psychedelic worlds which if we were on psychedelic uh, substances of some sort, there would be bright colors. Everything would be, you know, you, you bring up like insects having 16 of the cones <clears throat> to delineate all the different colors of flowers and the things that they need to survive. Right. And, you know, you have like a lot of like plant life shows up in your work. So there's these things that would be very vibrant. And you, it almost seems like they are vibrant, but there's yeah. a filter in between, like in between the glass, where it becomes black and gray or or muted tones in between. Sure. You know, sure. There's a. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say that it was. A, it's an interesting dichotomy for sure for me. Yeah. Well, thanks. I, 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 I interesting for me is always good as long as I keep it interesting. Um, but as far as as far as uh, color, I, I there have been a few things I've done recently that have had full color and this, I've been using color pencil and things like that. So instead of going into painting, I think that if I'm going to continue, you know, drawing being where my comfort zone is and, and where I have the most knowledge, um, I think if I were to really pursue the color, it's going to be mostly with color pencil. So yeah. I, I'm keep an eye out for that. I'm sure that's, that's coming. Which it's your, a, your icon but, was full color. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that was an experiment for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's all colored pencil, just having a fun time with it. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's calling to me. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> color, good. That's color, the color is calling. That's the way. I was just talking to um, uh, Brian Bark. Oh, fuck, I can't say his last name. Barcanello. Uh, Barn. Uh, I can't say his Barnacello. Barnaclo. Okay. He, he does all the. He does a lot of murals up in San Francisco. Great yeah, artist. Yeah. I've known him for a long time. I just can't pronounce his fucking. Right. It's Barn E L C O. Barnelco. Barnelco. Sounds like sounds like it should be a. We were to, we were discussing how where his ancestry must have come from with a name like that. Yeah. What did he say? I totally forget. I for, just because of trying to remember <laughs> his name, I totally forget what I was going to say yeah. about him. 
Um, well, you were talking about limited palette, and uh, so when you mentioned his name, I immediately pictured. Oh no, no. no. So yeah, we were talking about like just going ahead and taking the risks. Like not. I was talking about how like I really want to start getting into abstraction and sort of some different things that move away from the figurative. Yeah. And but I have this need to like pay my bills, and I know what which pieces of my work sell the best and what can help me pay the bills and this like fight between like having it be a job and having it be um for fun so it's like go for it we we decided that taking the risk and just saying fuck it as long as it's fun for you like that really becomes the only thing that's important but you know we got to fucking pay bills we got to eat food and keep the electricity on and be able to look at the internet and shit Honestly, I try to break. You know, when I do taxes or something like that, I'm looking at my income from art and and my write offs or whatever. I just say if I break even for a year, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. Um, and and it's never been a huge uh, factor for. I mean, I work a day job a lot of the times. Right now, I do contract work and it's like web web stuff and whatnot, and uh, not very exciting stuff. And and it's you know it pays well, but it's and they and it's very flexible. I can have the time off I need to work on a body of work or do different things. Um, and my wife works full time and she's very supportive. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it, for me, I think my, I wouldn't be happy if I had like a, a set style that people recognize and just continuously produce that over and over again, which I see a lot of artists doing. I mean, Mm -hmm. they, they explore within that, that world that they created or that style that they created and they, they explore, they, they stretch it a little bit in that and you can see them stretching uh, and trying different things. But, um, but the real breakout stuff is is risky because you could lose a whole chunk of your audience. You know, they might just yeah. be like, "I don't. Where is he going with that? Or where is she going with that? I don't get that. Uh, that's crazy and and whatever." But that's but then you're going to get a whole new audience because you'll get a whole new kind of respect and uh, and you'll have probably have more fun with yourself and you know. Is, I mean, is it not more satisfying to to explore? I think so. Yeah, sometimes. But you know, on the on the negative side of that, like it's nice. Like I have this series that I've been doing that, like all my artist friends like it, which makes me feel great. Like it, it means something to me. Yeah. But the buyers aren't as interested as maybe the creative types, which I mean, equally they both have their benefits. Yeah. But when you're poor, the one benefit of I selling you. them. I, I think. I, yeah. No, I, I totally get that. And I think the thing about the buyers is that they just haven't been. Um, properly introduced to the new work. Yeah, it takes and, some time. Yeah, and they, it's, it's. I think part of it is, um, and I see this happening a lot in the art world. Is it's, it's almost like, and, and it's. I think it's mostly an American thing, but I, I'm sure it happens in other other countries, uh, art markets. But you need to be validated by a source. So whether it's uh, juxtapose or high fructose or, yeah. uh, or, or somebody like that, um, or or a particular gallery or particular. Awesome podcast. Uh, collect, co- yeah, awesome podcast, exactly. <laughs> uh, I just keep yeah. throwing accolades my yeah. way, just Woo. nonstop. Sorry about that. Right. No, no, no. That's a beautiful thing. Um, Self-promotion. A yes, big part of being an artist. <laughs> right. Or a particular collector or somebody who's very influential. Yeah, sure. Uh, does a big nod toward your work or boom or whatever, you know. Then all the next thing you know, everybody's... It's almost like everybody had to have permission to love the work. Like maybe they <laughs> yeah. secretly, maybe they secretly liked it, but they didn't want to like admit to anybody else because it was so different from what you had been doing. And then, then it gets validated, and everybody's like, "Oh shit, this is great work." I always knew it was great. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome, man. So yeah. you got a big show coming up here uh, pretty soon, next couple of weeks up at Breeze yeah. Block in Portland. 
Yeah, it's uh, I'm showing Mike Egan's going to be in Gallery One. He does some great work, and uh, and I am going to be, and it's very appropriate for the for the sort of Halloween season, you know, the October season. Right. And uh, and then my work uh, is has probably equally as much of a creep factor, uh, but just <laughs> in, a different, in a different form, you know. And, and I'll be in Gallery Two, and um, I'm working on. I'm trying to finish up this one. I'm going to have let's see, ten, ten drawings on panel. They'll all be framed. Uh, and then I'm, I had these three little sculptures that are these sort of finger characters, uh, that are, were a lot of fun to make. And, uh, everybody seems to respond to those, uh, in a really funny way. Um, <laughs> they're, they're kind of obscene, but uh, kind of weird looking. And then I'm making this guy who's like a, almost like a walking totem pole. He stands three feet tall and that's a sculpture I'm working on right now. Nice. I, and so I'm sort of on, under the gun to get that done, but I feel pretty confident that it's, it's, I'll have it done and photographed and everything and ready to go for the for the show, but it's all coming down to the wire, which is nice. I'm totally, I haven't been to Portland since I want to say 2002 or 2003. So I'm really excited to go up and hang out. And, um, yeah, a bunch of folks up there interested in drinking some beer and, 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 and hanging out. And it's a fucking stuff. great town, man. I love yeah. that place. Make yeah. sure you go check out the Hellion gallery while you're over there. They always have good stuff up over there. I, I will. I will. And, uh, antler is new, but I want to check out their stuff and, that, that, that is, whole neighborhood is super yeah. rad. Like I, I could easily see moving there. But I always talk about this: how like I go there when it's perfect weather and there's a bunch of cool artists there and like yeah. everybody's having a good time. But I'm never there for like the down days. Yeah, the rainy days. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. My wife and I spent uh, ten months in Seattle, and it was, um, it was. We got we arrived right in the late October, so it was gorgeous, and the, the leaves were changing color and everything, and it almost felt like New England to me. And oh, then, nice. then the rain came in. And then once the rain came in, I was and we you would you know it wouldn't rain twenty four seven but pretty much and then you get a like a sun break in the middle of the day and everybody would run out of their office buildings and stare up at the sky and <laughs> I never I never seen so many rainbows in my life I was like wow I can totally see why people like are amped on coffee all the time here and and then and drink tons of beer and and you know like the pub the the bar culture is really huge up there and I totally get it I did day drinking yesterday it was such a bad choice because I did jujitsu <laughs> later oh, yeah. Well, it turned out like it was a whole scene. Like, yeah. I uh, I met up with Brian and we hung out and checked out my show that was up and drank a beer. And then I was trying to meet up with my weed guy. God damn it! If weed isn't so goddamn difficult to get, <laughs> I had one one dude left that wasn't a pain in the ass to get weed from, and now yeah. he's a total fucking pain in the ass. <laughs> so I had I ended up meeting him at like a little dive bar yesterday. Does in, he listen to the podcast? No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> That'd be dope. I hope he does, actually. <laughs> I won't say his name, but... Yeah. So he's super paranoid now. Like, we can't fucking... Like, it's just an ordeal. And so, You're like, I met him at this little dive bar. And, of course, I had to drink, like, a few beers in the dive bar. And dive bars on Mondays in the afternoon might be, like, the best environment ever. Yeah. Like, a bar that has no windows and yeah. everybody sitting at the bar is older than 45. Right, right. Forty-five and up, no, yeah. no less. I was the youngest dude in there. <laughs> nice. Maybe the the waitress behind the bar was maybe younger than that, but that's fine. But right. everyone she at the bar, she, she probably looked forty-five because she had been uh, breathing it. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Actually, she was she was pretty cute. But like, oh, I when I walked okay. in, I held I seen this old man walking towards the bar door. Dude must eighty-five at least. And I opened the door and I was like, well, I'm just going to hold the door for him because like he was like the type of dude that shuffles to walk, you know, like looks yeah. like he's in pain. So I'm like, oh, I'll hold the door. And I held the door open and I looked inside and everyone at the bar looked like a bunch of vampires because the <laughs> light shined in through the bar. And, 
and the old guy walked so fucking slow that it was just like like two minutes of of direct sunlight to him. Like I could see him like cringing. But I thought it was hilarious, and then I was like, and, "But this guy was like an uh, OG at the bar, so he pulls up right to the corner, and he got a coffee with like whiskey or something added nice, to it, nice. but still drank it out of the coffee." <laughs> the best, one, I think I'm gonna, because I don't drink, man, like barely ever. So like having three, I had three Guinness. Whoa, uh, that's a load, man. And then tried to do like a really tough jujitsu class last night. Yeah. I was, Oh, dude, my stomach started cramping up. I was like, Coach, uh, I might just go run straight to the bathroom. I apologize if I do. <laughs> but I held it together, but I felt like puking the whole fucking I was going to say, Coach could probably smell that beer coming out of your pores. Or your oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt about <laughs> it. Well, cool, man. Let's um, let's plug your website and stuff sure. so people can go check you out and drop the dates for your upcoming shows and, and what happened. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, so my website is bunnywax.com, B-U-N-N-Y-W-A-X.com. Uh, I've had that URL forever and ever. Uh, there is uh, my solo is at Breeze Block Gallery um, in Portland, and that opens on Thursday, October third. It's going to be from six to ten p.m. I hope folks come up for that. I'll be up there for that. Might Shout out to Sven Davis, the yeah. OG. Sven Davis, yeah, curated it uh, from Arrested Motion. Um, and, and shout uh, out to Mike Egan. He was uh, he was on the on the podcast this summer, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy, man. I just, I totally love video chatting with him, and uh, he's he's got a really nice sense of humor and and a uh, really great aesthetic. So I was totally, I, I was really pleased that he wanted to show my work and uh, and at Breeze Block. Uh, and then I have a show coming up uh, with a collective called the Art Dorks, and uh, that actually opens the next night, and that's down in. Um, I don't know if you remember that collective at all. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, they're sort of reforming for this show. It's kind of like you know when the the old, the old band does a tour. Is it a cult? Uh, it's cut, yeah, definitely as a cult. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We wear special pajamas and nice. and all that. Yeah. So, uh, so that's going to be in St. Augustine. That's going to open on October 4th. Um, and then uh, at Lake Aviv Gallery in Oakland, Max Kaufman is, um, is curating a show called New Folk Revival. And that has an amazing lineup. So uh, it has like Ryan Bubnis and Lisa Congdon and, um, oh, let's see, Cannon Dill and Bill Dunlap. Uh, Mike Egan's actually in that one too. Um, just it goes on and on and on. Uh, so that's super cool. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go to those other group shows just because I'll be up in Portland. But, uh, yeah. but I'll be more than happy to be up in Portland. It's going to be great. If uh, if you find yourself on the other side of the bridge from downtown, there hopefully the restaurant's still there. I believe it is. It, there's a place called um, Old Wives Tale. Old Wives. Okay. Old Wives Tale. Old Wives Tale. And. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I never knew that it was Old Wives' Tale. I always thought it was Old Wise' Tale until I actually ate at this restaurant, which <laughs> makes me sound dumb. But but so they have the best applewood smoked bacon ever. Mm, bacon. If you're a bacon fan, I highly uh, recommend. Really? Who, who isn't a bacon fan? That's true. Crazy ba- vegans ba- and vegetarians. Ba- ba- yeah, that's true. Bacon in all forms for me. Ba- bacon really is the gateway drug to meat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, so you feed a vegetarian some bacon, it's all over. <laughs> All right, man. I want to um, thank you again for taking the time to shoot the shit with me. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah, it. man. Thank you. And I uh, was just happy to do it. And um, and I'm looking forward to hearing my voice, which will totally terrify me when I hear it live. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, man, great. this is great. I, <laughs> does he ever get complaints like that? People are like, I don't like my voice. Nobody likes their voice. I love I my fucking voice. How about that? You, you have a great voice. Oh, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. So you put me at ease, and I appreciate it. Beautiful. All right. Thanks again, brother, and um, best of luck with your show up in Portland. Appreciate it, man. You'll kill it, I'm sure.
And give All everybody right. hugs for me. I will, for sure. All right. Let's do, All right, thanks, let's do internet dap. Yep. Boop. Bam. Bam. All right. All right. Later. Thanks, pal. Later. Should I stop? Yeah. I guess we'll stop now. We'd like to welcome you all again to the world of vibration, introduction to the nation, a revolutionary thought here, the sound evolved, expanding, changing. Most of the things that we saying have been broken through your chatter, so y'all niggas still ego trip based in. Have not begun to taste the Kundalini wisdom, listen, dropping as a lyrical and vessel for the stages. Play this on your playlist. I like dope, but musically I'm transcending the physical. And don't blame me for the slang and the word. God writes these rhymes through me. I just listen to them. I'm just living through matrix-driven rules haven't fooled me, because I still think abstract and stay metaphysical and challenge what is real. Really willing, keep creating with the force to bring rap back. Not that it's away, but everybody got something to say. So let me speak the opposite of what's hot now and make that hot. So it'll get exploited in the corporations. Only your back dudes who bite my style. And they can try and try again. I even been influenced by a lot of pioneers south to the east and west. But when I hot MC just on a stage with a real MC, most of the time the situation gets hostile. We vibrate at higher frequencies. Welcome to our world and intro to evolve into a space where there is no thought, just moments captured. Here we go. We vibrate at higher frequencies. Let us To dig within in a world full of BS that we're living in. To my ears, music sounds sweet, it's in an end. So I stay pounding out tunes again and again. It's the fifth chapter, ladies and gentlemen. And I still got MCs on my dinner menu right late at night. This ain't Dave Letterman, though on second thought, I'm like a letterman. So let the crap evolve, catch a little syndrome shooting through your veins, vibrating through your eardrums. Used to think 30 years old, then the end comes. Now I feel like I'm just gaining momentum. Seen the world two times, all except India. About to vacate there when we finish this one. Work hard, though some still sleep, we won't mention them. In fact, they act as fuel for our engine. Engine, engine, number nine, Mike Lynch. And when we're done with this, these songs are our pension. MCs are puppets, me, I'm Jim Henson. Take a squat or get chopped by the henchmen. City, town, state, arena, or convention. Please believe these, the G's that ease tension. Rocker and F set, if 